0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Well, good morning, church. It is such a privilege to be here in the house of the Lord with you again this morning. Amen? Amen. It is good that we are here. And um, Natalie and myself and our boys... Came back from the Chicago Training Center this past Saturday, and uh, we just couldn't wait to get home for moments like this when we come and can personally say, Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for all of your prayers for us while we were away, and your prayers for how God is building His church in Ottawa. And let me tell you something, let me tell you something God is at work. Amen? There are tremors starting in our nation, and I believe, I believe 100% because of the God that we serve, that there is a revival coming to our nation. Amen. you believe Amen. that? Amen. I believe that. And I believe that as we continue to press in to know the Lord, His coming is as sure as the dawn. Amen? Amen. I believe that, and we are seeing that start to happen, and I exhort you To continue to pray with greater fervency, greater depth, greater dependency, greater passion for the greater things that he has in store. Because he has promised us this, that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against that. Amen? Amen. So thank you so much for your support. And we will be here for the next three months ministering alongside with you. We're so excited for that to get to know you. And then after that, Lord willing, we will move to Ottawa uh, full time to carry on that work by the grace of our God. There is much ahead and much to be expected for. So today's message title is Our Greatest Gain, and it's taken from Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 11, Our Greatest Gain. And as you're flipping there, I have a question for you that's going to set the tone Uh, for the direction of where this message is headed. And the question is this, loved ones. Would you agree with me that we live in a society that is absolutely obsessed in the pursuit of gain? Would you agree that we live in a society absolutely obsessed in the pursuit of gain? And well, as you're probably aware, yesterday was... Boxing Day, right? The single biggest shopping day and highest grossing revenue day for most of the stores in our nation. And in thinking about that, in thinking about this time of year, I wanted to give some examples that I researched about Boxing Day that illustrate the obsession with gain and the relentless pursuit of it that we have and some of the lengths of how far we're willing to go to get it. You'll see on the screen here, this is a picture of the Eaton Center on Boxing Day. Okay, straw poll, real quick. How many of you are glad you're not there right now? Yeah, okay, another straw poll. How many of you are glad you're in church right now? Amen, absolutely. Okay, so as you're looking at this, think about this. 60% of Canadians, nearly two-thirds, so two of every three people in this room, plan to shop on Boxing Day to buy gifts for, get this, themselves, even after all of the Christmas gifts they have just received over the previous month. 60%. This one was pretty sobering. There are reports, oh boy, there are reports of people jumping out of moving vehicles in jammed parking lots just to secure a parking spot. It's rammed. There's an open spot. Get out there. Risk your life. Save the spot. <laughs> and see, and, and looking at the month of December as a whole, Canadian stores racked up between, get this, 30 and 40 billion dollars in sales in this month alone. Thirty. To, let that sink in your mind. 30 to 40 billion dollars. And to to top it off, the joy of this is no longer confined to just one boxing day, but is now a full boxing week so that you can extend this joyous pursuit of yours another six days. (laughs) Obsession. Obsession. One day is no longer enough. And isn't it obvious that we think having more or doing more things in this life brings us the confidence, security, satisfaction, peace, comfort, and fulfillment that we are so desperately looking for? But what we can clearly see here, would you agree with me, is that this is a lie. This isn't just a 2015 stat. This is a yearly stat, year upon year, that's only increasing. Why? If all of these things meet those things we are looking for in our lives to fill. And my question here for us this morning is, are you living in this lie? And would you know it if you were? You see, here in Philippians 3, Paul recognizes this relentless desire for gain that is hardwired in each of us and confronts us with the reality of the greatest gain that we could ever have in our lives. What is it, you ask? Well, it's not something that can be found on a store shelf. There you go. Take the rest of the boxing week off. You're good. Just gave you permission for that. Sleep in. It's not something that can be found on the corporate ladder, no matter the rung that you're currently on or the one that you are aspiring to. Fruitless to find it there. Or in anything that we could ever accomplish on our own, no matter how hard we constantly strive and strive and strive. What is it, you ask? It is the gain of the one that will bring us the security, confidence, satisfaction, peace, and fulfillment that we are so desperately looking for in this life. What is it, you ask? It is the gaining of Jesus Christ in our lives. Amen? And there are two conditions which you and I must continually, everybody say continually, must continually embrace if we are to gain Christ in our lives. And the first one is this, we must embrace the loss. We must embrace the loss and put off the confidence in yourself. Look at verses 1 and 2, chapter 3, Philippians 3. Finally, my brothers, Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Okay, circle how many times he says look out in this next verse. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Who mutilate the flesh. See, Paul is writing to warn the church at Philippi again. See, he says, it's no trouble for me to write these things to you again. He's writing to warn them again about the false teachers called the Judaizers who were teaching that along with the faith in Jesus Christ, you still needed to be circumcised if you were going to be saved and secure your salvation. Okay? Along with faith in Jesus Christ, you still needed to be circumcised if you were going to secure that salvation. And some of you may be wondering this morning, well, what's, what's circumcision? <laughs> See, in the Old Testament, the mark of the people of God was given when the foreskin of a young male was cut off on the eighth day of his life. His family would take him to the temple, they'd perform the ceremony, and that was the mark that you were part of God's people. Okay? And now, Paul writes over and over to the church to watch out for these false teachers who taught this. How many times does he say, look out in that verse? Three, absolutely. He's emphasizing it over and over again because here's, here's the sobering reality. It is this. These teachers honestly believed that they were true servants of Jesus Christ. They believed they were teaching the real gospel, but instead were teaching an evil and false gospel that was spreading in the church. So Paul's writing to confront this again. And in essence, what they're teaching was this. God's grace plus human effort, in this case, circumcision, equals salvation security. So God's grace through Jesus Christ plus our human effort equals salvation security. That's their message. Now some of you say, well, wait, I've heard this term God's grace all the time. I mean, what is that? Well, God's grace, write this down, God's grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. God's grace is giving us what we don't deserve. And in this case, it is salvation through Jesus Christ and having the opportunity for that. Is that not the greatest act of God's grace? And you see there at the end of verse 2 where he says, those who mutilate the flesh. Those are harsh words. But Paul describes them this way because by Jesus Christ coming to earth as fully God and fully man that we just celebrated at our Christmas Eve service. By the way, weren't those incredible services? Amen. Amen. By Jesus Christ coming to earth as fully God and fully man and dying on the cross to pay the full penalty for our sin, the practice of circumcision in order to secure our salvation, became nothing more than a mutilation of the flesh that was completely unnecessary. Okay? That's why he calls them mutilators of the flesh. Because Jesus' work on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, that is finished, and it needs nothing added to it. Okay? And look at verse 3. Look at what he says in verse 3. For Paul goes on to say, We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Underline, put no confidence in the flesh. That's key. See, Paul states here that because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross and the salvation that we have in Him alone, all those who put their faith in Him as their Lord and Savior... They receive a circumcision as well, or a change of the heart, a spiritual circumcision, a spiritual mark of the heart that is a sign that they have passed from spiritual death to spiritual life and have been cleansed of their sin by the blood of Jesus and united with him. Is this not the greatest news ever told? Is this not the greatest gain we could ever have? And you see there at the end of verse 3 where Paul says, put no confidence in the flesh. See, the confidence that Paul is speaking of here is man's own ability or achievements apart from God that he thinks will help him earn favor with God or even be the source of his salvation. Confidence in the flesh. Work harder to secure that. Work harder to earn more favor with the Lord. And you see, loved ones, this isn't just an Old Testament or New Testament biblical times problem or danger. I mean, look around us, look around us. This is happening all around us today, and most likely with people right here in this room. People trying to earn their salvation and gain security of it through their good works. And this starts early. This is hardwired in us, as I mentioned. And this starts early. And I see this pictured even in my own family with my own children. I mean, you're going to see a picture on here. Now, okay, try not to get distracted by the excessive cuteness that is now on these screens. Okay? I'm biased, but I think you'd agree with me. Okay, so here we go. So this is my little man, Isaac. He's five. Twin brother, Samuel, right here. This is our little one-year-old, Caleb, who's just learning how to walk. And this is our three-year-old named Micah. Okay? And by the way, kudos to my wife for getting them to stay still. (laughs) Huge. Right? But here's the deal. As you look at that, think about this. They want the love and security of their father so bad that they feel they have to earn more of it so that I will love them more or think more highly of them. You say, what do you mean? Well, this takes the form of, hey, Dad, I was the fastest kid in my class today. Like, I dusted everybody. Right? Right? I dusted everybody. Or, or here's one. Here's one. Um, come in the door after a day at work. Hey, hey, Dad, welcome home. Guess what? I obeyed Mommy the most today. I obeyed her the most. And then, and then here, this is a common one right here. Um, but... You should hear what Micah did. I mean, you should hear what, what Isaac did. I mean, I start comparing themselves, right? I'm way better than him. I got it. I got, I got this. You should love me more. You should have more favor for me because look at them. Oops. Don't we do the same thing? Don't we do the same thing? Is this not the same as our relationship with our Heavenly Father? Because they will do all of these things to try and secure Daddy's love for them, even though... Here's the reality. They already have all of the love that I can humanly, possibly give them. They have every ounce of it. Every ounce. Not because of anything they do, but just because they're my sons. They don't have to add anything to it to earn it. And instead of me saying, oh yes, I'm totally for you, way more than your brother, here's what happens. It grieves. It grieves my heart. To think that they have they feel they have to do that and I just got a picture like if that grieves my heart that much how much more does it grieve our heavenly fathers when we try to do the same thing you already have all of it you have all my love you have my grace stop trying to earn it and so how about you how about me what is, rivaling, what is rivaling the perfect saving grace of God in your life? What is rivaling it today? Because you're putting confidence in yourself and your ability to, to gain or add to it. And you may be saying, well, Ray, that's totally not me. I, I totally realize that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I can't earn it all that. Okay, here, here's the word, careful, careful. This can happen. We can slip into this thinking so subtly and so deceptively. And here in verses 4 to 6, Paul gives us four ways that we can easily begin to put confidence in ourselves and fall into the same trap of trying to gain Christ through our own efforts. Okay, four ways we put confidence in ourselves. Number one is our traditions. Look at verses 4 and 5a, through our traditions. Though I myself, Paul says, have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I've got more. Paul's like, I've got you beat on every single level that you think you can earn. I'm topping you out. Listen to this. And then he goes into his credentials. Verse 5. Circumcised on the eighth day. You see, as we spoke about earlier, Paul kept the tradition of being circumcised on the eighth day. His parents took him to the temple. He went through that. He got marked as a member of the people of God. And maybe for you this morning, you're putting your confidence in the fact that you're coming to church every Sunday morning. This is a weekly tradition for us. Or or I come to church on Christmas and Easter. Just the traditions. Or or I've got 100% attendance at small group. Or I'm even dropping my kids off at youth every week. Or I'm giving extra in the offering plate this week just so the Lord will look upon me with more favor, and I'll I'll earn that salvation. We're just going through the motions. And you're doing all these things, but yet you've never made a personal decision to follow Jesus Christ. Or if you have, you're thinking that somehow by your good attendance, God is going to somehow have more favor towards you. In essence, if we could sum this up, it becomes Jesus and my church attendance secures my salvation. Jesus and how much I give into the offering plate secures my salvation. Starting to see the pattern? Traditions going through it. Four ways we put confidence in ourselves. One, our traditions. Look what Paul goes on to say next in verse 5 B to D. Your family heritage. Your family heritage. Here it is, verse 5. Circumcised on the eighth day, and then here it is. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrew. See Paul states here that he was born Jewish. He's like I was born Jewish. I'm already a member of God's people. But then he takes it a step further there. Notice what he says? Of the tribe of Benjamin. What's so special about Benjamin? Benjamin was considered an elite tribe in the people of Israel. Why? Because the first king of Israel came from the tribe of Benjamin. Paul's like, so not only am I born into the people of God, I'm not, check I'm from the elite group of the people of God. Check. And that's why, look at what he goes on to say at the end. He goes, I'm the Hebrew of Hebrews. Why wouldn't God want me? I got all this going for me. Hebrew of Hebrews, baby. Careful. And maybe you're here today saying, I grew up in the church. I mean, I've come to church my whole life. I'm showing up every Sunday. Uh, my parents are strong Christians. I know they're praying for me, and they, they're, they're probably praying for my salvation. So that's got to count for something when I stand before God. That's a lie. That personal decision to follow Jesus Christ is between you and Him alone. No one can give that for you or do that for you. Four ways we put confidence in ourselves, our traditions, our family heritage. Number three, uh, your rituals. Your rituals. Look at 5E. Keep going on verse 5. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew, Hebrews, and here it is. As to the law, a Pharisee. See, Paul was a Pharisee here, which meant he kept all of the proper works that gave the impression that on the outside, he was a man of God, but inside, his heart was far from God. He could say all the right prayers, he dressed the right way, he gave the right amounts into the offering, he could quote the scriptures. But his heart was far from God. And maybe you're here today and your focus is on doing the right things that you think will help you gain favor with God. Some examples that came to mind are, how about reading our Bible every day or saying all the right words. I can handle a Christianese conversation. I know the lingo. I've got that. I can give that impression off memorizing all the right verses or, or taking up all the service opportunities, right? If I just do this service opportunity, God's going to look upon me more. If I just do this, and surely that's got to count for something before God, even though I've never surrendered my life, I'm, I'm going to be serving, do all these things, try to earn that, and thinking that somehow these will help you earn your salvation or greater favor with him. That's a lie. And in essence, what we're saying here is uh, Jesus and how often I serve secures my salvation. There's my ritual. Jesus and if I have 100% Bible reading every day and I pray for half an hour and I memorize six verses a year and I do the... Careful. Careful. Lastly, four ways we put confidence in ourselves. Our traditions, our family heritage... Your rituals, and here it is, number four: your hard work and success. And in the spirit of um, vulnerability, I, I have to say, this is this is me. This loved ones in my life is a tooth and nail fight every day. Um, so I've heard from a few people that I can be a very passionate person sometimes. Who knew? But I've heard that, and with that, a work ethic of, let's do the next task, let's get at it, God said it, let's go, let's go, let's do, let's do, let's do, drive, 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 drive. And you see what Paul's saying here in verse 6, look at verse 6, he says this, As to zeal, there's the passion, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to righteousness under the law, I'm blameless. Absolutely blameless. See, Paul worked with greater passion, greater zeal, and greater commitment than anyone else around him to serve God by killing all the Christians he could find or throwing them into prison in order to shut down their churches before he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. That's what he's talking about. Greater zeal. I'm doing it. I'm doing it for God. And maybe you're here and this is you. And you're like, well, wait, I'm not throwing any Christians into prison. I'm not burning down churches. No. But you are thinking that working more, working harder, or having success on that next project will help you gain more of God, His pleasure, or His favor. In essence, what's happening here is Jesus plus how hard I work secures my salvation. I mean, Jesus really, He got the goods when He got me. I mean, I work hard, I get these tasks done. That's our heart set. And I have to to qualify that with this. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Uh, It is good to work hard. Ecclesiastes says, whatever your hand finds to do, do what? Do it with all of your might. And later on in scripture it says, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. We serve him with excellence. No question. But, as George Mueller stated, work with all of your might but trust not in the least in your work. Work with all of your might, but trust not in the least in your work. Sobering word for me this morning. So which ones are you in? You know, if we're being honest with ourselves, all of us here will fit into at least one of these areas at times. And each of these righteous deeds is a barrier in our lives to gaining Christ if they are what we are relying on to get him. They are rivaling God's perfect finished grace in our lives. How do we know this? Isaiah 64, 6, you'll see it on the screen here. It says this. We have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. A polluted garment. And the finished work of salvation in Jesus Christ alone is the answer to all of these things that we try to pursue and put our confidence in. I love how John MacArthur puts this. He says, Christ is Christianity. Love that. Christ is Christianity, and he is all there is to offer because he is all that we need. He is all that there is to offer because he is all that we need. And to gain Christ in your life, you must embrace the loss and put off the confidence in yourself. And as we seek to gain Christ by embracing this loss of ourselves, we must also embrace the gain and put on the knowledge of Christ. Embrace the gain and put on the knowledge of Christ. Look at verses 7 and 8. It says this. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. See, Paul states that literally everything that we gain that is not Christ, here's a sobering word for us today, is meaningless. He calls it rubbish. The Greek word for rubbish there means actually dung or manure. Everything that we gain that is not Christ. And all of his previous credentials, his ability to excel at the top rung of the most successful and prestigious organizations in society, it meant nothing. Rubbish. Apart from Christ. And you see there in verse 8 where he goes on to say, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of, there's that word, knowing. See, the Greek word there for knowing is gnosis. Gnosis. And this isn't just some intellectual head knowledge. Yeah, I know about Jesus. Maybe some of us here today have been coming a long time. Yeah, I know about Jesus. I know there's a God. I know that uh, he's here, and I know that people are worshiping him. But listen, this is not some head knowledge, but rather that word gnosis, knowledge, means having an intimate or personal knowledge of someone that comes from, here it is, sharing a life with them. Sharing a life with them. And and the closest resemblance to that we have in a human relationship is God's design for marriage. A man and a woman coming together, united in Jesus Christ, to share a life. And I have had the privilege of sharing my life with my wife Natalie. for the last seven years. And she knows, she knows the most personal and intimate things about me. And the cool news is, she still loves me anyway, that's cool. (laughs) I'll take that. But you see, in essence, what Paul is saying here is that the greatest worth that we can ever have in our lives is to share the life of Jesus Christ and to make it our own. The God of the universe wants to share his life with us. Can you imagine? And look at verse 9, where Paul goes on to say here, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through, everybody say, faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. See that term there, found in him, means that at the moment of our salvation, that moment we trust Jesus Christ and confess him as our Lord and Savior, we become one with Christ as our old self dies, and we become a new creation that is united to him, where, as 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, the old person has gone, and the new person has come. And this in no way is based on any righteous works that we could do, but through putting our faith in Jesus Christ alone, as our Lord and Savior. And you may be here today saying, well, listen, I don't, think, I don't think I could ever be good enough to be received by Christ. I mean, if you only know what I've done in my past, or if you know what I'm currently involved in, Ray, you totally wouldn't be saying that. And I'm not even trying to earn salvation uh, because I don't think it's even an option for me. Look up here. Look up here. If that's you today, that is exactly the point. That is exactly the point. You and I, you and I, will never be good enough to earn our salvation. And you know, when Satan comes and he starts to speak into my mind, he goes, really? Really? He says, you think... You're going to be a pastor? You think anybody's going to listen to what God... You think God can use you? You think he's going to use you to plant a church? Look at you, man. Your life's a mess. I know what you've done. You're a wreck. But you know what our response to that is? Yep. That's right. But isn't it amazing what grace does? Isn't it amazing... What grace does. Loved ones, hear this this morning. There is power. There is power. There is power in the name of Jesus Christ. I love Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. You'll see it on the screen. It says right here. For by... Grace, God giving us what we don't deserve. By grace you have been saved through, there's what Paul says, through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the, there it is, gift, not a transaction. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. As Paul says, it depends on faith. And I love how he goes on to say in verses 10 and 11, he says this, that I may know him, there's that word gnosis again, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. See, what Paul is saying here is that to gain Christ is to suffer like Christ. Whatever the cost, whatever means necessary, whatever the cost to whatever The end. To gain Christ is to suffer like Christ. And even if it means Paul's own death, which it eventually did, he died for his faith in Jesus Christ, Paul can say this confidently, love this, get this, because he knows that his death would be a great gain for him. Because he knew without a doubt that at the moment he died in this life, He would be in the presence of his Savior for eternity. And it was at that moment, loved ones, that he would start to truly live for the first time. Great gain. Great gain. Are you looking forward to that? I am. Do you know, do you know today that if your life ended today, you would be standing in the presence of Jesus Christ, united with him, and can say confidently to live with Christ, but to die is gain. Will you be united with him? Because let me tell you something, he's coming. And we are now, here we are, December 27th, we are the closest we've ever been in human history to seeing the return of our incredible king. Will you be standing with him? If not you can have that opportunity today. This reminds me of one of my favorite worship songs. I would like you to close your eyes. I'm going to sing this over you. And I want these words to soak in. It says this. I let go of all I have just to have all of you. And no matter what the cost, I will follow you. Jesus, everything I've lost, I have found in you. When I finally reach the end, I'll say, you are worth it all. Open your eyes, loved ones, and look up here. You see, losing all and gaining Christ is an unbelievable bargain. Heavenly Father, help me to live as one who believes this is true. Is that your prayer this morning? Help me to live as one who believes that is true. And so how about you? How about me? What gain are you embracing today? What's the gain you're going after? Are you putting on the knowledge of Christ or the knowledge of the world? How about in your marriage? Husbands, are we actively seeking to put on the knowledge of Christ so that we, like Jesus Christ, can lay down our lives for our wives as Christ laid down his life for the church? Parents, grandparents, are you desperately seeking to put on the knowledge of Christ so that your children, your grandchildren can be raised in a home, in a family where they see models of Jesus Christ and men and women who fear the Lord? How about in the workplace or in your classroom, students? Do the people who sit around you, do they see a man or woman of distinction who is sharing and emanating the life of Jesus Christ? See, because here's the sobering reality. We are never static in this. We are always embracing one thing or the other. We're either putting on the knowledge of the world or we're putting on the knowledge of Christ. We're never static. You say, well, Ray, I really like that. I want to put on the knowledge of Christ. What does that look like? Well, the Bible gives, tells us clearly, it says five ways we grow in gaining Christ in our lives. Five ways we grow in gaining Christ in our lives. Here it is. Number one, through faith. Through faith. Look at verse nine again and be found in him, Paul says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God, and here's a key word, that depends on faith. See, receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and believing that he is the only Savior of this world, and that his death on the cross paid the full penalty for your sin and made the way for your salvation in him. This is where everything starts. Everything else depends on this step. Everything else. That's why Paul says it depends on faith. And maybe you're here this morning and this is the first step that you need to take in gaining Jesus Christ in your life. And I urge you with everything inside of me to take this step. And God's word for you this morning is crystal clear. Today, when you hear his voice, that's going on in your chest right now, do not harden your heart, for he desires today to be the day of your salvation. And he says, come as you are. I gave my life for you so you could live truly. Five ways we grow in gaining Christ in our lives. Number one, through faith. Number two, through his word. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world anymore, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And maybe you're here this morning, and this daily walk with God through his word has been lacking. You've accepted Christ in your life, and you're like, "My, my daily time in the word is lacking, and this needs to be a focus for you as you move into the new year. And we say, you know what, As maybe you're saying like what I get caught saying at times, oh, I, just can't, I just can't have time. I just can't have time to get in the Word. Like i got so many things pressing in. And then the Lord struck me with this reality. It is this. Loved ones, you and I will always have time for the things we make time for. And what we make time for is the greatest reflection of our priorities. Simple truth. Profound. You see, John MacArthur, let me just take a look at your Bibles for a minute. Just, John MacArthur said this so beautifully. He said, there are a lot of books that can change our thinking, but there is only one that can change our nature. Isn't that profound? There's only one that can change our nature. And so that is why I urge you, get in front of the Word of God every day. If you're like, I've been lacking. Listen, it's a new day in Christ. Amen? Amen? It's a new day in Christ. Pick up your Bible and don't let go of it until God makes it precious to you every single day because it is living and active. It will bear fruit. And every time we open its pages, we come face to face with the living God. Face to face. What a gift. And no longer does it become Jesus plus reading my Bible equals more salvation, security, or favor. Now it is because of Christ I can love his word love it and cherish it. it is precious to me and there are so many different if you're like I don't know where to start on this This is a big book yeah it is we would love to talk with you to get you hooked up there's reading plans available at the connect us come and talk to us we just want to see you take those first steps so badly five ways we grow in gaining Christ in our lives number one through faith number two through his word number three number three is through prayer through prayer. Ephesians 6.18 says, praying at all times in the Spirit, all times in the Spirit. And I love how Pastor Robbie said once, he says, you know, prayer is like, prayer is like one of those knobs on your kitchen cupboards, right, that you keep opening and, and it comes loose. and You got to keep tightening it, right? Keep tightening it. With kids, that becomes more pronounced. But you keep tightening it. And why do we have to keep tight? Why is prayer like this? Because of this, write this down, where prayer fails, the world prevails. Where prayer fails in our lives, the world prevails. Keep tightening it. You'll see here, I love this quote by E.M. Bounds that's here, and he says this, he says, walking with God down the avenues of prayer, we acquire, there it is, his likeness, his nature, his life. And unconsciously we become witnesses to others of his beauty and grace. No longer is it Jesus plus praying lots gives me more favor. Now it is because of Christ I can approach his throne of grace with confidence and receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Five ways we grow in gaining Christ in our lives. Number four, through community. Through community. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, then let us consider how we can stir one another up to love and good deeds, not forsaking to meet together, but all the more as we see the day approaching. Coming together as the body of Christ, getting prayed for, being held accountable, being known and loved. If you're not in a small group, I suggest you sign up today at the Connect Desk. That's coming together. And here's why. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this so poignantly. He says, the more isolated a person is, the more destructive will the power of sin be over him. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive the power of sin will be over him. No Christian, know this, no Christian is ever saved to do life on their own. And... No longer does it become Jesus and lots of service and church attendance equals the security of my salvation. Now it is because of Christ, I can love his church and serve him in it to the glory of my Savior. Lastly, five ways we grow in gaining Christ in our lives through faith, through his word, through prayer, through community, and here it is number five, through suffering. Through suffering. Look at verse 10. Paul says, Philippians 3, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. You see, the truth is, is that if we are to live like Christ, loved ones, we will suffer like Christ. A lot of people say, oh, you're a Christian, so that means you got easy street. Your life's all good to go. Eh? You got this God in your corner. Listen, listen. Embracing the call of Christ is not embracing a call to easy street. Jesus said this in John 15, 20. He says, says, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. No student is greater than his teacher. It's coming. And if you felt so impressed with this this week, to encourage you with this this morning, and if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and are in a place of suffering today, be encouraged with this truth. Look up here loved ones and we close with this he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world he who is in you remember that today don't let the enemy steal that truth from you is greater than he who's in the world here's my exhortation you hang on you hang on don't give up or lose heart Because, as has been said, the greater our trouble, the brighter our triumph becomes. When we see God in all his glory do what only he can do. And I love how Pastor Larry Osborne says it this way. He says, suffering for Jesus is not a curse to endure. It is an honor to embrace. Suffering for Jesus is not a curse to endure. It's an honor to embrace. So no longer does it become Jesus plus my ability to suffer equals salvation security. If I just suffer a little more, God's going to look about... No, no, no. Now, because of Christ, it becomes I will embrace and triumph over suffering because of Jesus Christ. And so what are you embracing today as your greatest gain? Are you embracing the loss and putting off the confidence in yourself so that you can embrace the greatest gain and put on the knowledge of Christ? And lastly, I say this to you. Look up here, loved ones. Hear this this morning. Take this with you. I promise you, I promise you, the day will come when you will regret nothing that you have lost for God's sake. A day will come when you regret nothing you've lost for God's sake and we will stand united together before our precious Savior Jesus Christ and say, you are worth it all. All.